This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 161. We're getting started a half hour later, which is why I messed up that first take. So give me give me a little bit of grace there. Episode 161, thanks so much for joining us, hanging out with us. As always, with me is my wonderful and uh, usually quite well-prepared Mr. Dorinda. Mr. Dorinda, how's it going, dude? Very well-prepared. I'm, I'm good. Yes. I'm good. I'm well-prepared. I'm you extra are. prepared this you week. You... I thought we would try something a little bit different. Yep. We've got... We've got visuals for those of yes, you who indeed. tune into the streamed, yep. the video All stream you. on YouTube, whether live or uh, <laughs> or after the fact. We do get a few views, but it's That's not good. it's not big big ticket. But we do we do struggle sometimes explaining code. Mm, so I indeed. thought I I was at my computer and and preparing for the podcast, and I thought maybe if I get this set up so that we can stream, it doesn't provide much benefit for our audio listeners, but for those of you who do tune in or want to check in after the fact what we're talking about, we've got the the podcast up on on the Laravel News YouTube account, so you can go and check that out there, um, and we'll try and get the chapter markers in in line with the podcast as well, so that should help things line up a little bit. And he's, and you've got all the notes and everything all set for us today. This is great. This is good, I'm good ready. stuff. Hey, so... I'm uh, ready. You, you rock up 30 minutes late and everything's just ready to go. <laughs> Well, I didn't quite wake up 30 I stayed awake. I stayed awake. You know what I've been playing? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I hate to do this because, you know, I see, I see the comments of people saying like, if you would just skip the chit chat and just get right to the stuff, that'd be better. <laughs> um, I've been playing Rocket League Sideswipe on the on the phone and I'm waiting for you mm-hmm. to join me in that journey, but you're not there. I, I put a thing in our chat today and oh, like yeah. crickets. Nobody said anything. No one. Nobody. No one's interested nope. in your, we're all too busy customizing our Vim themes yep, and buying ultra-wide right. monitors. That's true. <laughs> I've already got my ultra-wide monitor and I've got PHP Storm, so I don't need to install and futz mm-hmm. around with Vim for days to get it to work. You know, anyway. Hey, uh, real quick before I forget, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Honey Badger, who has an amazing new product called Hook Relay, which you may or may have not heard about. It helps you to put web hooks into your application and all of the complexity that goes along with that that you don't think about until you actually get started working on it yourself. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit later in the show. But thanks, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show. Well, why don't we get right into it, Michael? We've got releases at the very top of the show. Mm. We've got Laravel 9 is now released. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Laravel 9? Absolutely. Laravel 9, as you said, has been released. It includes many new features, including a bump to PHP version 8 as a minimum now. It supports controller route groups, a refreshed default ignition error page, a Laravel Skate database engine, Skate Scout, Symphony Mail integration replacing uh, the old... Uh, Swift Mailer using Fly System V3 all the way out from V1, improved eloquent access accesses and mutators and many more. The downside to to putting the website up for everyone who's watching the video stream is that they know now that we're just reading mm, what's on the, on the articles <laughs> as we go along. Every yes. now and then we add lib. I did notice in passing, so Laravel 9 that was released as part of uh, the annual release cycle now in line with Symfony's uh, versioning was released a little bit later. I did notice here, this hasn't been updated, but Laravel 9 is not actually an LTS release at the time of this recording. That has been removed, and it's 
and it's due to a little bit of um, back and forth within this the symphony team actually trying to decide whether or not they want to bump the minimum PHP version from version 8 to version 8.1 because they're running into some issues there. Taylor was tweeting about this during the week. Some people noticed in the documentation that that it was kind of quietly removed the day of or the day after the release of Laravel 9. We, you know, we've spoken about it on this podcast before that, you know, LTS is is typically just a way to sort of delay the pain of upgrading your applications and and you know you get three years or two years worth of update pain all in one hit there's no real value i think in the term of uh you know software development in staying on an old release i know that we're we're using laravel 6 at work for lts reasons and we're just so far behind in terms of all of the the modern features you've got packages that then you know you've got all of this upgrade stuff that you need to do in one big hit it's not just upgrading from Laravel 6 to 7 to 8 sure. to 9. Yep. It's all of the ancillary work along the way yep. that you kind of delay by by doing that. And so, you know, you lose out on the new PHP version features, the new the, the new framework features and things like that. But, um, you know, in addition to that, Taylor was kind of saying on Twitter that unless you control end-to-end all of your dependencies, you don't really have a complete Semver compliance. You don't really have long-term support unless you end up forking and then maintaining all of those packages you know, after people kind yep. of drop off and things mm-hmm. like that. Now, Laravel typically is using well-maintained packages. We've seen with things like the Trusted Proxies, Middleware and things like that, and even Faker PHP, the library that was kind of let right. go by the, the original maintainer that Laravel has picked that up. And so they do do that a lot, but it's, you know, just ever increasing in the the size and scope of the work. So um, things to keep in mind. But the main thing there is that Laravel 9 at, at the time of this recording is not LTS. It may be revisited, but I, I get the feeling that we're not going to see another Laravel LTS release for the, at least for the short to medium term. But there's a whole whole heap of new features. As I said, PHP 8 is the new minimum version. We've got a newly designed route list. We've got a new coverage option when you're running Artisan Test. Anonymous stub migrations, which were introduced, I think, in Laravel 8.35 or thereabouts, are now the default. So anytime you create a new migration, the stub that will be generated, rather than generating a, a class name and, and having, you know, class create post table extends uh, cedar, you're now just going to get a re- return new class extends, or sorry, migration, sorry, return new class migration, uh, extends migration. And that's just to sort of, avoid naming collisions in your migration so if you have a create post table and you pull in a package that also has a create post table you get naming collisions and things like that due to the way that it does the auto loading of those classes there's a new query builder interface so if you're wanting to use type hints in your application when you're returning query builder interfaces from different eloquent calls that's now consistent between the query builder and the eloquent which was query always builder. a pain yeah that was always a tough one mm. Always tough because they were they always had slight differences. So all of that kind of stuff has been extracted into a common interface between the two builders, and now we've got traits to to sort of decorate that each of them and and bring in that functionality. So it's consistent between the two, deferring you know one to the other, eloquent to the builder, and and such as as is needed. So um, we're using PHP eight string fu- string functions. So using PHP eight as a base not only gives us a more modern PHP base to work with, but also all of the features. We can now just assume that they're going to be there in in most scenarios. There are some PHP eight point one specific things in there, for example, the implicit route bindings using enums. But all of this is handled within the context of the framework. So if you don't have PHP eight point one, A, those things won't work. B, the framework won't break because they're they're sort of feature flagged in there. So it'll be good if we can get you know, some clarity from Symphony on how they're going to approach this. I, I mean, 
if I was Laravel, it would probably make sense just to set PHP 8.1 as the minimum. Um, but not not everyone using the framework is quite there yet. There are still some, you know, packages in the ecosystem and, and dependencies and things like that that aren't quite PHP 8.1 ready. There's deprecations and things like that that not all uh, open source maintainers have time to, to to get through. So that kind of stuff kind of jumps in the way a little bit with PHP 8.1, but um, we'll see what happens with Symfony, I suppose. Um, and, and some other features that we've spoken about on previous episodes in terms of um, route group, uh, controller route groups, eloquent attribute casting, um, forced scope binding. <clears throat> so if you've got like a, a users slash user ID slash post slash post ID, that that subsequent lookup will be kind of scoped to the, the user automatically for you and things like that. We've got a new uh, Laravel Breeze API and Next.js starter or boilerplates. Taylor took a swing at bringing the Scout database Laravel Scout, which is a full text search. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Package from Laravel. So they've they've brought out a full text search uh, driver, driver yep. that you can use with MySQL. Yep. Um, and so full, te- full text indexes and where clauses in, yeah, and for, and for Postgres as well. Um, so we've got support for full text indexes and where clauses using that through Eloquent, um, rendering inline blade templates, supporting the Socketty, Socketty, Echo server, optional bootstrap, five pagination views, improved ignition exception page, which we spoke about last episode, um, and new string and to route helpers. And along with all of that, we also had a brand new website design for uh, Laravel. Uh, we can check that out. Which you have featured, as we're live. Michael, right up at the very top. I'm seeing you. Yeah, top middle. Someone, someone put me on there for, for reasons unbeknown to me. <laughs> there they are. Best in class uh, testing tools, which is true. I, I love that you know, Laravel has always been on the forefront of kind of testing. And now that we've got Nuno working for Laravel and we've got PestPHP, we're just seeing all kinds of adoption, not only within Laravel, but broadly across the PHP ecosystem. Just It just makes it, you know, it's a wrapper on top of PHP unit. And that's not to take anything away from the work that Sebastian has done for years and years and years with PHP unit. But it's just a, a cleaner, simpler sort of interface over that. Um, and it and it kind of leans into Laravel's, you know, expressiveness and simplicity and and really just human readability of you know English readability of of method calls and things like that. So, you know, that's that's a big piece there. But there's there's a whole lot of stuff. As I said, we've spoken about upcoming features for for quite a while. Um, Taylor went into all of the new features. Jeffrey Way has put out a new Laracast video free on YouTube and on Laracast.com in terms of all of the new features. Muhammad put out um, a, you know, a quick 10-minute run-through of everything as well on the Laravel YouTube channel. So there's, there's plenty of resources out there, whether written or, or video form, on, on what is in Laravel 9. But the main thing is that, that it's here now and it's, it's, it's ready and ready to go. I think we had only two like patch releases on, on release day and we're now into the regular weekly release cycle. So we're, we're at Laravel 9.1 now. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Um, as I said, key is uh, it's PHP 8 minimum and it is not at the time of this recording and, and probably won't be from what I've, from what I can see, from what I've seen online um, in terms of uh, LTS support. I think that's just a thing of the past now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, we actually are still pushing to get all our stuff onto 8. We've got the vast, vast majority of our stuff onto PHP 8, but once we get everything over to PHP 8, then we'll be pushing for Laravel 9, and then after we get Laravel 9 on, then we'll be going to 8.1. So 
That's sort mm-hmm. of our progression. But it's we typically wait a couple of weeks after a major release uh, to push out anyway, just to make sure all of the packages and stuff are updated. And uh, Jason McCreary uh, does a great job, actually, of helping along with that. He'll uh, submit PRs to packages, mm-hmm. all the major packages, to make sure that uh, they're all up to date with uh, the ability to be able to use the l- newest version of Laravel, making sure that, that that's uh, all set for the community to be able to migrate as quickly as possible. So yeah, excited for that. Okay, next up, we've got Laravel Nova 4, a teaser. So a really big upgrade of Laravel Nova is around the corner. And Taylor talked about a couple of these things, a little sneak peek uh, when we were at Laracon online uh, a couple of weeks ago. I guess last, was it last week? Two weeks ago. So the back, yeah, I think. yeah, it's been a while since they've gotten a major upgrade, since Nova's gotten a major upgrade. So uh, here is what we know so far. So there is this new depends on method. And so this new method will allow us to explain uh, the software that one field depends on another. So you might have a dropdown in a resource where you have a category and a subcategory field. And so you can imagine if you had like you're creating a ticketing system, let's just be really generic about this, right? Or I don't know. Yeah, a ticketing system. That's what we're working on at my uh, at my place of employment right now. So uh, let's say you have a hardware issue. So you'd select a category of hardware. And then the subcategories would, of course, depend on the primary category that you would choose. So the subcategories might be I have a phone that I'm dealing with, or I have a PC that I, or like a, uh, a desktop device that I'm dealing with, or I have a monitor or a keyboard or a mouse, right? Those subcategories would depend on that category and those would switch out as you chose those. So it, previously, that would be something you'd have to code custom inside of Nova. But now you can simply say that a category depends on another category and it can automatically show or hide information uh, based on that dependency. So you can pick category A and only see subcategories that depend on category A. So the state of Nova Forms can be changed with this new method. And that's pretty awesome. We've got also, this is a really cool one. I love this. It used to be that you had to create custom filterable fields. Uh, if you wanted to say, I wanted to be able to filter on a particular field inside a table. But now instead of creating custom filters or even packages to achieve this sort of outcome, you can now filter fields by adding one single line of code. So let's say you have posts and each blog post may have a different user attached by adding one single line of code. I think it's filterable. So you just say user filterable you'll be able to directly filter this field over in that top right corner where you click filter, it'll automatically appear there now. So filterable fields seem to be available for text and date fields and possibly more in the future. Okay, we've also got some really big user interface improvements. So I know that there was a dark mode that was introduced. Uh, There's some more space between some of the elements. It's a fully responsive theme now, so you can manage it on your phone. I know this is a big one that uh, David had talked about. He's like, oh, responsive it's such a pain in the neck right <laughs> yeah but and, and i know a ton of work went into that but it looks really really great i was able to get a little sneak peek mm. michael and i actually michael i think you may have even got a chance to install it and play around with it with a couple things so yeah yeah it's it's yeah, I have, every nice. now and then i will i will log into the thing uh, the, the nova dashboard and um from my phone just to check up on some metrics and things like that and I, and it takes a second for it to tweak i'm like oh this is actually responsive and it, and it works nicely. So yep. it's uh it's good to see that. Yep. I mean, it's no big deal. I could you know pinch and zoom and sure. flip around, but it's just I know that I know that the the amount of work that went into that, you know, on top of sort of the the underlying technology changes and things like that in in V four is you know is is it's a lot of stuff that kind of adds up. So absolutely, kudos to the the team there, Dave Hempel, David Hempel, and crew. Yep. 
So we've got uh, that. That's just a couple of the items that were mentioned. So there was also new field types, different notifications, batched action support, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, later next month, we can expect an official unveil. So the big question that's remaining is how many breaking changes will there be? Hopefully not a ton. Honestly, they usually mm-hmm. do a pretty great job of making those transitions seamless. And I think even um, when you were deploying that one, it was an upgrade from a previous version to a more current version. So it went really, really well. Yeah. So yeah. There are a couple of minor things. They've they've shuffled around how the dashboards work and things like that, but it was not a huge amount of work. Yep. And even, you know, in, in the absence of documentation, because it's still a, a, a beta release, we're still able to kind of feel the way through it and, and get it done. So it's not a huge amount of work. So it would be good to see that get out i know it's been a while since v3 came out so and so of course since this is a new major release as well this will be a different license as well so you'll need to Mm -hmm. uh this will be a purchased upgrade which seems very fair tons of work has gone into this so really excited to get on uh get on that new version in all our production apps okay absolutely on to laricon my friend Yes, Laricon Online has, I, I suppose, been and gone. The, obviously, the article was ahead of that uh, from the, the 9th of February. Uh, but this was the very first time that we were streaming Laricon for free and live on YouTube. I think it was like at 12 hours. Like it was a full-on day. There was full-length talks. There was lightning talks. There was uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, started from about 9 o'clock in the morning, I think, Eastern, and, and ran through until uh, you know into the evening there as well. So. You can check out the full schedule. You can you can view the whole stream. The whole stream is already live um, on on the Laravel uh, on the sorry on the Laracon YouTube channel, which we'll have links to in the show notes for everybody. I, I caught glimpses of different talks at different points throughout the day. Um, I still haven't really had a chance to to sit down. I've I've sort of been falling into the YouTube well lately. You know, every time I open YouTube, there's something interesting there, mm-hmm. and I kind of just click next, next, next until eventually it's time for sleep. So I have to make a concerted effort to sit down and. And, and watch the stream. But the as I said, the videos are up. By all accounts, there were some fantastic talks. I saw loads of positive feedback for a lot of different talks through the through the day, which is which is good to see and hear, um, especially given how many uh, first-time and new speakers that we had speaking and, and some returning speakers as well. So check that out. I think closed captioning is still underway. I think they were still working their way through that, obviously, for you know nearly 12 hours worth of streaming. There's, there's a bit to get into. So... Um, definitely check that out. Outside of the event, there was also the swag store. There was many of the sponsors have also put out discounts and things like that, free free stuff that you can check out. I got a, a forty dollars DoorDash voucher from Linode. Um, fortunately, I, I managed to claim that before uh, the announcement came out that Akamai was purchasing Linode. So who knows what's going to happen in, <laughs> nice. in that regard? But my uh, my Laracon poster came in the mail the other day, uh, so it's going to go up on the wall back there at some point. Um, I need to go and get a frame for it. I still haven't put up the the one from last year, yeah, or last, previous yeah. Laracon yeah, yep. from from last year. Laracon, though. So I've got a I've got a hat and some t shirts coming. I've got the yellow one because the summer, know, I guess. Don't, yeah, don't have any yellow stuff. Right. So definitely check all that out. Uh, check out the swag store if you want to support. You know, obviously a free event is free for us as as viewers. But if there's any way you can contribute towards the outside of the the fantastic sponsors that that we had, uh, definitely check that out. And all of the viewers from the previous years are also live on the youtube channel as well so if you haven't seen them previously you can definitely check them out and see how you go yep i really enjoyed uh really enjoyed a lot of those talks have uh some notes to go back and rewatch some of those uh some of those items uh, i thought luke mm-hmm. downing did a really really great job uh let me see who else did i think was 
Aaron Francis was hilarious. He was really, really jazzed mm-hmm. about uh, Sidecar and talking about that. He had some really interesting stuff. One of the items that I thought was uh, awesome was that Browser Shot is now available to run as a Sidecar plugin, I suppose you could say. Uh, so previously, you'd have Very to nice. install Puppeteer and all that stuff on your server that mm-hmm. you were going to be running Browser Shot on. And now you can just install Sidecar, get your AWS cred set up, and then deploy it with this Browser Shot thing and just push all that straight up to a Lambda instead of having to manage it on your web server, which was really cool. Marcel gave a quick talk about Web 3.0, and that was actually really helpful. Uh, it was really, really good. Of course, Taylor's was awesome. API integrations, Steve, uh, he had a bit of a panic moment. There was a little bit of a technical glitch, but he worked his way through mm-hmm. that. So that was good. Uh, and and I was actually really, I, he put out a repo as well that has some really cool stuff that I've been looking through. Caleb, of course, is incredible. Always. He's so freaking hilarious. <laughs> he just <laughs> makes me laugh every time he has a talk. He's just, he's like a comedian. Yeah, he does. He and he's so deadpan about it. Exactly. Well. Like, even I if think he stumbles so over funny. something, he just keeps on going, and he's like, yes. you know, yes, just breezes past it, which is the the good thing. You know, he's uh, I know that when when he first you know first presented at Laracon, I think it was New York back in what 2017, and he was super super nervous. But he, I think, despite any nerves, like you wouldn't know outside of the fact that he said he had nerves. He's a he's a terrific speaker and he's yeah, he you know he's gone past that now and it's always a pleasure to see the, the stuff that he's going and he's always got the enthusiasm for it which just sells it even more. Absolutely. Yeah, he did a great job. So that was really really fun. Okay, folks, that takes us past news and into packages. So speaking of Jason McCreary, he has sort of labeled himself, I don't know if you've picked this up. He's sort of labeled himself as like Laravel's garbage man. So he mm-hmm. just picks up the trash, you know, and uh shifts everybody's stuff. And now he has got another little garbage collection thing here to clean up stale or old local branches that have been merged and deleted on GitHub. So this happens to me all the time, right? I have a Git branch that's just been sitting on my machine and the older my machine gets, I've got a relatively new one right now, but sometimes I'm going to do like Git branch and just look at how many branches I have on my machine. It's like, oh my gosh, those things have been here for like a year, right? And so you just got tons of them. So Jason has released Mm -hmm. a CLI tool for organizing local and remote branches. Uh, So he says in his tweet, cleaning up thousands of dangling references and Git repos everywhere. Another garbage man production. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a, the command is called Git trim. It's a quick way to remove merged, pruned, untracked, and stale branches in Git repositories. So all you have to do is call Git trim. Uh, That will remove local branches where its remote branch no longer exists. Uh, You can also do dash dash merged or dash dash stale or dash dash untracked or dash dash all and you can also combine these so you could say dash dash merged and dash dash stale uh you can try you can download to try this command via npm or as a oh my zsh plugin and so of course you can see the source code as well uh at github.com slash jason mccurry slash git dash trim i am definitely installing this one i need to have it run as like a um what do they call that thing where it's like automatically launches? It's it's not like I'm wanting to say like, you know, a daemon or demon, whatever. But I can't remember what max equivalent mm-hmm. of that is. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But have this like run across all of my different Git repos on my machine every night or something and just clean it all up. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Tidy, tidy. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Okay. Hit it. Oh, no. I missed calculating mathematical statistics in PHP. The Laravel or the uh, math nerd in me is uh, crying about this. Go ahead, Michael. Take it away. That's okay. You can take it if you no, like. No, it's okay. I haven't even looked at it yet. So No. 
I, I saw this one pop up on the on the Laravel News Telegram channel, which uh, we can have a link to in the show notes for that's really those of you know. It's just yeah. it just pops out everything new and and so you get a, a quick look anytime there's a new article published by the by the team. Um, but hi folks slash statistics oh is a PHP package that provides functions for calculating mathematical statistics of numeric data. The package includes functions that can calculate things like mean, medium, quartile calculations, and specialized calculations like geometric mean. Uh, it's all through a you know a facade or a you know a front a static class, so you can say stat colon colon mean and pass an array of of integer values or float values. You can use geometric mean, medians, first quartiles, third quartiles, frequencies, and things like that. I was I've been for the longest time wanting to do some work around talking about um, standard deviations and mm-hmm. things like that in terms of like tracking the performance of your scheduled tasks over a period of time. So you could say, you know, week to week, your average runtime has increased based on some standard deviation um, so that you could give a good indication that maybe something is going wrong with those tasks. And But I dreaded doing the maths on it because it's been a while since I've done any of that kind of stuff. So having a package that's just going to yes. do it for me and I can just shove it an array of or a collection of, of values and have it just, you know, calculate the difference between the two would make life much easier. Um, so as I said, there's various functions provided in the package. The README has good documentation, examples for using all of them. You can learn more about the package, get full installation instructions, and view the source code. I've definitely got this one bookmarked because I'm going to get around to using it eventually. Um, as I said, it'll be good to to provide some more insights because that was you know part of what them ping, them ping me was supposed to be all about, not just uh, monitoring when things go wrong, but also providing insights into when things are going wrong. Yeah. You know, they're heading in a in a bad way. Yep. You know, you could have a task that normally takes 30 seconds to run and suddenly it's finishing after two seconds and you go, well, that's probably something going wrong there. Yes. You know, right. if there's a sudden crash in, in, in that sort of range. So I'm I'm definitely going to look at this one in the very near future. I um, I had to write my own quartile calculations and that was not fun. Mm. thankfully i was able to figure it out it's not it's not technically actually that difficult but like having a package like this that's like mine isn't tested (laughs) my quartile Mm -hmm. calculations are not tested and being able to have uh, something like this i could just pull in would be really really helpful actually okay awesome laravel google chat alerts this is a package by guy warner and is meant to send a message to google chat quickly this was inspired by laravel's or i'm sorry by spassi's laravel slack alerts package and it does the exact same thing for google chat so now you can say google chat alert colon colon i need to say double colon by the way i was just thinking about that the other day google chat alert double colon message and then you just send through <laughs> message that's it you can send it quickly without the overhead of uh, the laravel notification system it just sends alerts as a job to your queue to prevent your app from failing in case Google Chat is down. And just like the Spassi package for Slack, it supports multiple channels and the ability to select which channel you want to send an alert to. Additional features include using Markdown and the ability to mention all users in a particular channel. So check out that package if you use Google Chat. Uh, I have not, I cannot say that I've really ever used Google Chat much. I I didn't even know you could have like channels and stuff in Google Chat. Maybe I need to check it back out again. Maybe, maybe. I think like, we use Google Meet and things like that. Yeah, sure. I don't, like, you, you know, it used to be like Hangouts chat and things like that, but I think it all, I don't know, Google goes through these phases of amalgamating things and then splitting them out again. So who knows? But definitely, you know, the these kinds of sort of utilitarian notification 
packages. You know, the Slack one's good. Everyone's using Slack, but, you know, you could do the same thing for Discord and, and whatever else, you know, even probably putting things into Teams. There's some free ideas for people if they're using those different avenues for that kind of work, I suppose. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm look, I'm just, I just logged into it. It looks interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's all I'll say. Interesting. I mean, it's such like any other chat app you've used, right? I mean, interesting. Okay, anyway, we don't have to dwell on that one too long. Uh, let's <laughs> talk about our sponsor, Michael. Let's do it. Uh, if you've ever had to integrate your apps with third parties such as Stripe or GitHub or Slack or Trello, then you would like to have quality webhooks just like the ones that Stripe uses, for example. And there is more to sending webhooks than just sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL and calling it a day, right? That's where Hook Relay comes in. Hook Relay is a service that makes sending and receiving webhooks reliable, secure, and transparent and automatically. Users are amazed at the visibility they've gained into their webhooks. And without Hook Relay, you have no idea how many requests you're processing. With Hook Relay, you can watch your traffic, inspect each and every request, and much more. It's like having X-ray vision into your webhooks. And of course, if your app or your integration partners are being flaky, you will have the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no matter what happens, Hook Relay will make sure that your webhooks are delivered. Skip days of grunt work rolling your own webhook system and get reliable webhooks for your app in minutes and not days. So go to hookrelay.dev to get started and check webhooks off your to-do list. You can get started from just $0 per month. It's free forever. It gives you 100 deliveries per day, 14 days of retention and three hook endpoints. If you've ever had to roll this, especially if you're wanting to do all the tracking of headers and payloads being sent and what you're getting back as responses, it is more effort than it's worth. Just focus on your own apps. Thanks to our friends at Honey Badger and hookrelay.dev for sponsoring the podcast. Awesome. Hey, we've got another package here uh, that is meant to create and send digest emails in Laravel. So the Laravel Digest package is a really simple way to convert your emails into configurable digests. So you can create and send digest emails using various configurable frequency types. So let's do an example. So you can send a digest email to the site administrator for every 100 user registrations. So as soon as you get 100 user registrations, boom, it's going to send that email. Or you could send a daily digest of all errors logged. Or you could send a monthly newsletter for all the posts created. Uh, So this package makes it really easy. All you have to do is define an observer. So for example, when a new user gets created, you define that observer, and then that will add a record to that digest. So it will take that value, throw it in there. So you don't have to later look it up and say, hey, give me however many users were created Mm -hmm. between this timestamp and this timestamp. You just define that observer, it throws it onto the digest. And then whenever it's ready to send it out, it will go ahead and take care of everything else from that point on sending emails once that frequency is met. So it could be that 100 users, it could be a particular date or timestamp. So it looks pretty interesting. And actually, I have a couple spots where we're doing this where it is ripe for a change Mm -hmm. because it gets annoying to manage this stuff. Uh, so the Laravel yeah. di- yep. Digest package looks actually pretty useful. So get started with it. You can yep. check out the source code on GitHub, including installation instructions and usage details. Bookmark. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, bookmark. Just like that stats package, I have an almost immediate use for this and definitely no time to implement it. But yeah, exactly. I would certainly right? like yeah. to, to get it in place because you know, anytime we're tracking when a user is registered or an application has been commenced or anything like that, it'd be good to to provide metrics around that. And, you know, going through and storing 
the specific like you don't need to go and recalculate the events exactly. every time if right. you can just store a cumulative total and then okay at the end of you know seven days or whatever i send a snapshot of that data and then you know start looking at the next week so um, rather than calculating the number of times that it happened and having to keep track of that and all that kind of stuff you can just store you know an incrementing value of like we've 10 of these 20 of these 30 of these oh you know we got to 50 in the last hour we should probably notify someone things like that so exactly. uh, definitely something worth looking at i know exactly where i'm going to be using that so very nice very nice thanks to sorry i got a shot at the author here real quick hamanes h-m-o-n-e-s nice perfect all right next up we have yet Another, I swear, there's at least one package a week, at least one package a week from our friends at Sparsi. This one is automatic route discovery in Laravel. I think Freik uh, showed this one off in his lightning talk at Laracon Online, so you can check that out in the in the presentation there. But Laravel route discovery is a package from Sparsi to discover routes in Laravel applications automatically. You can configure where routes can be discoverable, either in a routes file or via configuration. So you could say discover colon colon controllers arrow in app underscore path, HTTP slash controllers. Once you define the controller path, the package will generate route URLs based on the controller and method names at that path. For example, if you wanted a news controller, you might define a news controller. And within that, you would have a function index, a function my method, and a function my other method. And the package would handle conventionally how to convert these. So the index method would just be slash news. The my method would be slash news slash my hyphen method and my other method would be slash news slash my hyphen other hyphen method. And while the example that I've just given demonstrates get requests, the package provides conventions for using post, put and patch requests based on the method name and also supports nested controllers using namespace to determine the route. Using the package, you can still register routes in a traditional way as outlined in the Laravel documentation. So uh, putting things into route slash web.php but not all routes need to be discoverable to be routes the package can also map routes to blade templates allowing you to map view files to a route dynamically so if you were mm, if you just had some static views if you just had static views if you had documentation things like that you can do that all for you so the package is making use of various php attributes to customize the routes http methods route names and so on and so forth so definitely check out the mapping controllers to routes documentation for more details on the PHP attributes that are available. Uh, you have, as with all of these things, you can learn more about the package, get full installation instructions and view the source code. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, this is an interesting one. I've always been a little bit hesitant yeah. towards using attributes. Just be, I mean, we've got that, that beautiful, beautiful artisan route list that Nuno put together. But the first place that I always, always look whenever I'm going into a new application is the routes folder yeah. and looking at the web.php and the api.php and things like that. And so it's nice to just be able to see everything all in one place and sort of click through. Like going into the artisan route list and then you can see a list of all these things, but then you still have to go back to your editor and and go and find the files and things like that. So being able to just click through, especially now that we've got you know the, the tuple notation and we've got the, you know, you can click straight through to... The, the controllers and methods yep. and things like that directly from the routes file it just makes everything much more discoverable, you know, discoverable from a programmer sitting at a computer trying to find things perspective as opposed to discoverable from uh, generating the the thing. So courses for courses, uh, depends on how you do. I know it's like a Cake or CodeIgniter did a lot of this kind yeah. of conventional, you know, route auto generation based on where things are. Uh, it's not for me personally, but uh, 
definitely check it out if that's something that that is of interest to you. It's it's an interesting package, if nothing else. Yeah, they did they did bring up that point, which you just said, which is that Codeigniter and Cake did a lot of this. But the problem they said, which is that they didn't give an escape hatch. There was not a great way mm-hmm. out of this. So the the nice thing about this yeah. is this does not apply generally over everything. It does not override your ability to register routes manually. I believe also if you do the route list command, it will still spit these out because it is finding them it's discovering them mm-hmm. and it'll show them there mm-hmm. the other thing that you said which i agree with is that like looking at web.php is a great outside in approach i can go from the outside and find my way into the internals and discover where it's going but sometimes if i'm on a, if i'm on a controller and i need to see like what what is this being called what is the name of that or how did i name that right now typically if you're following some sort of convention uh, hopefully that should be relatively obvious to you. You should be able to at least make a, ge- a guess in the general neighborhood of what it would be named. But there is no way to go from the inside to the out, right? With this, you mm-hmm. can. It's it's right there in yeah. your controller method. You can see it. It's it's right above your controller uh, method that you, you know, what it's going to be named, what it's going to be called, all the stuff. You can even apply middlewares and all that right inside here, which is really cool. So like you said, like for me, hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would I would still need to be convinced a little bit more, but I was listening to a podcast today. No compromises. Uh, my buddy Joel and... Oh, what's his name? Aaron. Eric? Aaron? Aaron. Joel and Aaron run that podcast. And he was just talking about the importance of uh, being willing to change your mind. Like when you hear a new idea, um, not rejecting it immediately, but trying to step back for a minute and say like, okay, let me look at this from the perspective of the person who built it. So like, you know, I know that Spassi and Freik in particular, were huge proponents of the tuple notation stuff. So it's not that they're not using them. Mm-hmm. They definitely are. It's just that they found that maybe this was uh, more interesting in a couple other places. So yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, interesting. I, I doubt I'll switch over immediately, but uh, maybe at some point in the future, I'll, I'll change my mind on that. Okay, mm-hmm. tutorial time. Last time we were together, we talked about an article that Chris Fidal had written where he had accidentally sent a bunch of emails to people from his staging environment. Oops, on accident, right? And so his <laughs> suggestion at that point was to set up that table in staging with a database, was it engine or language type of black hole? Yeah, black hole, which basically says, mm-hmm. I'll accept whatever you're sending to me, but then I'll throw it into a big black hole and nothing's ever going to come out of there. Like it's, it's doesn't exist. It just, you know, it'll act the same, but it's like a fake practically, right? Yeah. So Chris basically, I think was probably contacted by somebody that said, hey, by the way, this is a much easier way to do what you're trying to, right? So there's an as-of-yet undocumented way in Laravel to prevent Laravel from sending emails to any old address. Why is this useful? Well, some of us aren't perfect. As mentioned, we accidentally sent thousands of emails to customers from staging environments. So lots of ways to avoid this. Here's the Laravel nice, easy method out of the box. If in your app service provider, uh, in the boot method, you can say if the app environment is not in production, you just use your mail facade and then say always to and then specify an email that you always want to send mail to. So foo at example.org or whatever you might want to throw in there. And what that will do is if your app that is in staging happens to send mail, it will always send it to foo at example.org or whatever you might want. Mm-hmm. So what's happening with the always to? The handy always to method will override all addresses in the to CC and BCC fields with an email message, or I'm guessing not email message. I think you probably meant email address. Uh, this is mm-hmm. done with the Illuminate Mail Mailer class, and they have the co- the code commented down below. I say he actually heard this from somebody, but maybe not. Maybe he was just source diving and found this. 
I think it was Taylor. Was it actually, Taylor told that, him? That, yeah. Mm, yeah. He's like, I think you can do this. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those one of those moments. Like all of these things that you kind of that are just in the framework waiting to be oh discovered my gosh, one there's day. There's so many. I just found one the other week uh, with like uh, facades make partial mock. So you can make a mm-hmm. partial mock out of a facade. Just yeah, awesome. Pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I love the I love the testing stuff that's in facades because the the argument against facades has always been that a they're like global service locators that you Which, shouldn't use and um that you know they make things harder to test but really they actually make things easier to really test do. and test more comprehensively in terms of of um you know your feature tests and things like that you can you can unit test the underlying class that the facade wraps around yep. but in terms of you know just swapping things out I, I did a video recently talking about you know simulating the environment in your test because we were trying to put some guards in place in some areas of our application where if you're in production that certain things should or shouldn't should or shouldn't be present and so doing that at the configuration level within within your test just leads to all kinds of issues but but creating a facade that that sort of wraps around that check that way you can in your test say you know my facade colon colon should receive in production arrow and return false so that you can then make assertions against your your blade views and things like that it's just it just makes it so much easier to to comprehensively test those those sorts of things and just helps you sleep better at night really mm-hmm. indeed yeah I, I love i love using facades in my tests and just calling it and like swapping it out and uh mm-hmm. done that's it that's all there is to it it's beautiful in fact some of that's the it. stuff i make you know i'll make like a service class that i'll have bound in the container and then i'll just make a facade to reference it just for the heck of it i could i could swap it out of the container at the test if i want to but i can also just reference the mm-hmm. facade and fake it so pretty nice yep convenience convenience indeed okay uh i think you are up envy oh this is really mm-hmm. cool talk to luke about this last yeah. this week this last week luke downing yeah luke luke downing put this one together keep your environment files updated with envy by worksum now we've all been there you're getting a new developer up and running or in my scenario i was the new developer getting up and running and for some reason it was not 500 errors but it was certainly mistakes and things missing in terms of configuration it works on your machine so what's going on you've checked all of the usual suspects the database exists migrations have been run and hours pass and confusion mounts and muttering ensues and then suddenly you realize that there is a missing entry in your env file and more often than not we forget to add things to our example env file we don't keep it up to date. It's no longer has any, and and because it's not kept up to date, there's no meaningful impact on our development cycle. Like we add the thing as we're building it out, we put it in the env file. We forget to put it in the env example, but our environment doesn't change. Like we don't typically, you know, completely blow away and start from scratch. And I think that's the key to a lot of testing environments is that you don't often find these things until you're trying to get a new developer on board, and they're and they're doing everything from scratch and they're trying to follow the documentation and see what's missing. Um, so it's something that I've, as I said, just starting a new job in January, just gone through myself. But it's only when this happens that you swear you're going to update it and then you do and maybe you don't. And even if you do, it's likely it's going to happen again. So at Luke's company Worksum, they got tired of this endless cycle of pain and decided to do something about it and created Envy, which is a Laravel package that will make sure you never miss an environment variable again. It's not a it's not a sync up between your Envy and Envy.example file. I know that I think Marcel Posiot Beyond Code, they, they have a package that does this kind of check to make sure that your env and env.example files are kind of in sync. Um, but that has a lot of pinfalls. For example, you almost never want to actually copy the environment 
values from your env file because they tend to contain sensitive information that shouldn't be in version control and on top of that if you no longer need an environment variable in your project because you delete a config file or you remove a package a simple sync between the two won't help remove those outdated variables so envy is smarter than this it reads all of your project's config files or any other files that you've configured and finds calls to the env function and then it compares those calls to what's inside your env example file and with that knowledge it is then able to suggest additions or removals for you so that syncing your environment file with your project is only ever an artisan command away. And on that note, Envy has two artisan commands. There's the Envy colon sync and the Envy colon prune commands. Where sync is designed to insert missing environment variables in your example file, prune is designed to remove environment variables that are no longer required. Neither of these commands will make changes without confirmation unless you pass the force option. So in order to not have to remember to do this every time, you know, or regularly, you can forget to do it. Just chuck it into your CI. So whether you're using GitHub Actions or Pipelines or whatever else, um, there's a basic GitHub workflow that's included in this article that we will link to in the show notes. But with this in place, tweak to your project requirements. You can make a part of every pull request, every every merge, every, you know, you can run it on a schedule to make sure that it happens once a week. That's a good idea. Um, there's... Tons of configuration options. The docs has extensive uh, documentation on all of the options available too. And one thing that Luke wants to point out um, is the fact that you can add additional environment files to check. So if you have a .env.testing or a .env.dust file, you could add those into the mix to ensure that they remain up to date as well. Great idea, yeah. Um, so definitely check all this out. This is this is uh, beautiful. I'm sure that Luke will put something nice together. He's I love watching his presentations, his talks, his videos, his past stuff. Everything is is good. Yeah. I think he's a, a, a wonderful teacher. So hopefully we'll see something like this. So we'll definitely check it out. Yeah. And so um, like one of the things that he puts in here too that is is important. So uh, when it's scanning over your files, it's like, of course, it's going to scan over your config directory. But then you can also include vendor directories. So if you have like Laravel permission, permissions that you're using and mm-hmm. you want to make sure that those get scanned over for ENV variables that you might need as well, you can include that and it will scan over those as well. So if they're vendor files that you didn't publish because you don't need to customize them necessarily, but you want to take a look at them and have make sure that they're going into your ENV, you can include those in the path that you want to scan when it does its checks as well. So yeah, this looks really, really cool. We've like, like he says at the top of the article, we have all been there. Like this has caused more pain mm. and frustration many times for new developers than it needs to be. Okay. Mr. Chris Fidal is on a roll these days, man. I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, he's got another tutorial here called Using S3 with Laravel. So he brings up some really good points that we, we use S3 for like everything. We don't ever store anything with the server and the reason for that is because we want to be able to migrate servers really easily, right? So we need to offload that storage to somewhere else. So AWS S3 provides a place for us to store files off of our servers. Here's some big benefits. You have backup and redundancy. They have uh, that built in, S3 does. Scaling, it saves files off server so that you don't have to worry about uh, running out of disk space. You won't need as much when you're storing files in the cloud. And then it's got a lot of features such as versioning, versioning support for files, Lifecycle rules for deleting old ones that don't need to be there anymore. So you don't need to go through and delete them manually. You can just say, hey, let this live for this long and then go ahead and delete them. Uh, Or you can actually move them to different tiers of storage like Glacier or whatever. You have deletion protection, Mm -hmm. all sorts of good stuff, right? So using S3 now can reduce headaches in your long 
in the long run. So here's how to set this up. It's really, really easy. Couldn't be easier, honestly. So there's two things or two places to configure things for S3 in the ENV, but also in filesystem.php. And then lastly, you have your AWS account. So he's going to walk you through how you actually set up your AWS account. You're going to set up a new S3 bucket. You're going to set up a new IAM user, and you're going to set up a new key secret pair. And then you're going to attach a policy to that IAM user, which is going to give it access to that S3 bucket. Sounds complicated. It's really not that bad. After that, you're going to set up your AWS keys in your ENV. And then in your file system.php, you're going to set up a new file system. And the driver is going to be set to S3. It's already there. It's already set up by default in the config to have a driver of S3. So all the options and stuff are already in there. It's beautiful. There's a few options there that we didn't use in the ENV, for example, the AWS URL, which can be set. This is interesting. So there is this AWS endpoint and then use path style endpoint, true or false. Here's all I'm going to say about that. S3 is great if you're running it in production. Wonderful. Awesome. However, it can be a bit tricky if you're wanting to do something. So there's like this middle ground. In testing, it's super easy because all you have to do is storage fake, right? Storage fake, you're home free. <laughs> no big deal. Production, storage disk, you're running to S3. No big deal. What about when you're in your local dev environment and you're wanting to test that something's going to work? Well, you have two options. You can either set up a separate disk in S3 that can act as like a staging disk, I suppose, if you want. Or you can use this magical tool called Minio. And Minio basically is a local S3 instance running on your machine. It has a AWS or sorry, an S3 compatible API. And it just writes to your local file system in a different location, wherever you specify, you just run Minio, you fill in these uh, values, like the secret access and key and ID and all that stuff with your Minio creds that it run that it gives you as soon as you start running it on your machine. And bada bing, bada boom, you have a local S3 disk on your machine. This is the other reason why I really like using S3 is I can just, I can do it locally. I can do it. In, I can do it in testing. I can do it in production and it all feels the exact same. So it's really, really handy. Okay, he walks through all that. He talks through how to use it in Laravel, which is if you've ever used storage or fly system, it's going to be really familiar to you. Uh, pricing is cheap. He talks about all that good stuff. Uh, and then at the top of the show, we also talked about fly system three is in Laravel nine as well, which brings some interesting benefits along with it. And lastly, there is actually this temporary URL thing that Taylor just tweeted about like today. So if you have a storage disk, you can reference a link to a particular file inside your storage using, I think, this temporary URL that's mm -hmm. off the end of that. Taylor just fixed an issue with that before uh, where it would break in testing. If you're using that and you did storage fake, it would break. And he just fixed that. So another reason to be using the storage facade and the storage fake and all that amazingness and using AWS along with it with S3. So thanks, Chris, for that write-up. Mm -hmm. if, if you've not used S3 before with your application, I would highly suggest it. It's really, really handy. And if not S3, your you know provider of choice azure google whoever right they're all great but yep good stuff there thanks chris hey i think that's about all we've got my friend that's all of the things that's all the things that's all she wrote it's all he wrote you wrote it all out it's all they wrote. yeah well i mean i'm just saying did. you wrote the notes all out so that's all the notes you wrote I there are write, other spots did for, write yeah, the notes. you did write i wrote nothing well and uh <laughs> Hey everybody, this is episode 161. I think this has been the most active chat we've had in a long time. We've got Jesse mm -hmm. and Jess all hanging out in here. We've got Bouchon, 
Guy Quad. We've got uh, who else was talking about your Andy was Andy Hinkle uh, was complimenting <laughs> you on your biceps earlier in the show. That's just a crazy time. So, hey, thanks, everybody, for coming and hanging out with us. This was episode 161. You can find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 161. Of course, you can find uh, it. No, I'm, I'm lost. Nope. Um, you can, Yeah, we already did show notes. So we're talking about rating Please us up notes. and your podcast of choice. Five stars would be much appreciated. And you can hang out with us, chat with us on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. And hang out with Jess Archer and uh, Jesse Leet. Late. I always say his wrong name. I think it's Leet. Jesse Leet. Like Elite. Mm-hmm. That's that guy. Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. hang out with those people too. They're good peoples. Good peoples. Except for the whole Vim thing. I'm over it. You know, just be done with the Vim thing already. You guys and your Vim plugins. Oh, it's coming back. Oh. It's more. I know. It's like it goes in these more waves. It coming. goes in the cycles. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I thought we had Hemp Hill. He was a PHP stormer for a little while there. Stormtrooper. Nah, he's come back. I know. He's come back to the good he's side. back on the dark side. <laughs> he's spending days, days configuring Vim again. I swear, all you people <laughs> are like masochists. It's like, you know, sadomasochists, whatever that is. Where you just like love the pain of setting these things up. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, you make it you make it sound like we're constantly tinkering. Oh, but okay. For, but for seriously, money, 5%. You can't tell me that is not true, though. Because you spend like three days on it in a row. Oh, come on. You and TJ and David all talking about like sharing plugins <laughs> and like in that chat and like screwing around. Oh, are we using this one anymore? No, we're not using that one now. We're using this one instead. And oh, my word. Sure. But it's the same in Storm or in no. VS Code. Like you're still going to go around and you're going to ask what plugins do yeah, I install? Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. And, you know, you, I, I was theming, right? So I saw this this carbon theme that, that Jeffrey was using in his Laravel 9 thing. And I thought, well, that's that's a nice piece of theme. And so it was a PHP Storm only theme. So I went and I found my old laptop, which had PHP Storm on it. And literally the only time that I've opened PHP Storm on that laptop was to fire up this theme so that I could then port it to Vim. So I've now got the the Vim theme. Well, but, there you, go. you know, even even the person that created that theme would have spent, and they would have spent way more time coming up with the colors to to put it all together. So I was just I was just copy pasted and and adjusted as needed. So, but it's it's very rare. Like I used the Nord theme from Arctic Ice Studio for probably two or three years, and then I stumbled upon this Aura theme. But I think it was just slightly too aggressive. Like it had some some very high contrast colors in there. Like there was a really bright blue and a really bright orange and they kind of just bumped up on each other. But this carbon theme, I think will be my new Nord and I'll be, I'll be with it for a while. So fair enough. I think I could maybe get there someday. Maybe. Is you it, mean come back? Didn't you, weren't you in Vim for a while? No, I, I think I tried it and it's just like, that's the thing. I'm like, I get into it a little bit and like, I, I'm not so bad with like the keyboard navigation and stuff. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just all the setup. That's what it is. I just, I use Vim all the time. But it's one time like, setup. It's one time setup. It's like I said, it's 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 no not really any different to Storm or VS Code. Like you're gonna spend that that bit of time at the start to find all your plugins and get everything configured. And once it's done, like you never change it. Um it's I, I think for, for Vim it's more the learning to use it. That's that's the bit. Um but once you learn the motions, like whether you're in doesn't matter what mode you're in, once you learn the motions, it's all just switching numbers and letters around. Um yeah. Indeed. Anyway, thanks. Thanks also to our friends at Honey Badger Indeed. and yes. Hook Relay you, Dev friends. Yep. For, yep, yep. for writing out another month with us on this wonderful podcast. Absolutely. Okay, friends. Until next time. See ya.
Tja, 